0: So, you know, I always try to encourage, like, be a positive role model to everybody. It's not that you're a great soccer player. Be somebody that everyone liked and respected and looked up to.
1: That was Hall of Fame high school soccer coach Bruce Stegner talking about creating your legacy and being a positive role model. And I'm Julianne Dietz, and I want to welcome you to the She Dreams and Goals podcast, where soccer dreams come alive and goals are just the beginning. This podcast is all about empowering girls to use their passion for soccer as fuel for on-field success and a lifetime of wellness. In each episode, we'll talk to stars from the NWSL, health experts, and performance coaches to unlock their secrets to success and discover what it takes to be the healthiest soccer players and people we can be. This week, we are celebrating high school soccer. Coach Bruce is a New York State Hall of Fame high school soccer coach. In his 30-year high school coaching career, he has won seven state championships and over a dozen county championships. He has coached at least 40 players who have gone on to play Division I soccer, including two daughters who played at the college level. Bruce has loved the game since he was a little kid, playing youth, pickup, high school soccer, and Division I collegiate soccer. He just recently hung up his boots after playing competitive soccer for over 50 years. We are so grateful to have the opportunity to learn from a legendary high school soccer coach why high school soccer is so special, how to make the most out of your high school playing experience, and how to become the best player and person you can be. For anyone who is interested in or currently playing high school soccer, this is a must listen episode, but you don't have to take my word for it. Elizabeth, what did you think? I'm so excited to play high school soccer in a couple of years and Bruce made it sound even better than I thought. Alright, so whether you still pack a soccer bag full of shin guards and a ball, or the weekly carpool full of fierce young female soccer players, I hope you'll join us each week to explore how we can achieve our dreams both on and off the field. Elizabeth, kick us off! Welcome to the She Dreams and Goals podcast. All right, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. As you know, this podcast is about helping young girls use their passion for soccer to fuel a lifetime of wellness. So we generally start with asking our guests about their own childhood and beginnings in the game. So where did it all begin for you?
0: Well, back in the 70s, my mom was from German heritage and came to the States, and she had a passion for sports and soccer. And the club that I belonged to growing up just formed within a few years of when I started and uh, we had incredibly successful teams growing up club teams that won state championships state cups Um, my senior year in high school we lost in the state championship for the first time ever from my high school so we had a lot of great history from our club and I think you know my parents instilled in me you know to go for it and I loved sports all sports soccer was the one that I probably excelled at most so stayed with that and the rest is history.
1: Were there a lot of other kids playing soccer? Were there, were there other international families in the town? Or was it just a lot of American kids picking up the sport for the first time?
0: Yeah, I would say these were mostly all American kids, you know, in Long Island as uh, post-World War II, as this, you know, uh, country and the community really grew really fast. And most of the kids were, you know, as American as could be. But there were a lot of coaches who back then, there were no trainers. So it was the parent coach who usually had a league, like a Scottish background or an English background yeah. or a Dutch background or whatever it may be. So those are the, some of the coaches that really mentored us and, and coached us.
1: So I guess being outside of New York City, that helped a lot to have kind of coaches or parents that have maybe been from other you know other countries where they were born.
0: Yeah, it was a true melting pot, and you know, I some coaches were better than others, obviously, but it was a great experience, very community orientated. Very different today where you have when you get to be on a higher level, I think, you know, kids are moving to special teams or elite teams. Back then our community team was so good that and there was nobody switching teams at that point. So back then it was very community orientated and to this day I'm still friends with probably ten of the guys that I grew up with from when I was like eight, nine years old.
1: Yeah. I mean that's pretty special and I think I remember you saying to me previously that you guys used to play a lot of pickup soccer like not just like your practice but like getting together at the elementary schools to play pickup soccer and that was some of your like best experiences growing up
0: yeah great memories of that I mean we actually played pretty much every day before school started I remember my mom getting mad at me because I'd have dirty pants before I even went to school in the morning (laughs) and um, we actually used to play on a golf course so I'm not sure what was going on in this golf course at (laughs) seven o'clock at night in the summer But I don't know, we seem to get on the course and play Couple times a week, which was amazing to play on like the fairway. Yeah. And I don't know where the golfers were, but that's one of the things we used to do. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And I think that's something that some of the suburban towns, even though you grew up in a suburban town, some of the suburban towns struggle with that now. Kids aren't, whether they just already have practice scheduled or there's not spaces for them to get together or, you know, they, they need a ride to get to where they, you know, want to play together. But pick up soccer, I think, is such an important way to develop the game and also develop like a love for the game there's no one directing you or coaching you you're kind of your own coach your own you know play with kids that are bigger smaller faster slower different ages sometimes can be a really good learning experience
0: i think in that unstructured environment is really an incredible way to learn um i know in other countries that's very common yeah in this country it seems so so structured to a fault at times and and kids aren't getting out and playing in their You know, parks and so on and so forth. Just picking up a ball and getting six or seven guys together. I don't even know how we coordinated this because back then it was just your telephone. Yeah,
1: you didn't have cell phone. There was no
0: cell phone. There was no texting. So just like, okay, I guess eight o'clock tonight. We'll see you there. Boom, and and, that's how it worked. Yeah,
1: passing messages during class or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And Elizabeth,
1: I know when we lived in Switzerland, that was one of yours and Matthew's favorite things to just go to the park, right, and play with kids of all different ages. Yeah. You know, move forward a little bit. I know that you never really stopped playing the game, but when and why did you get involved in coaching girls high school soccer, and what are some of you know the achievements your teams or you have had as a high school coach?
0: yeah well, it wasn 't a pre planned plan or anything like that. I mean, I was coaching high school boys, I actually coached on the university level a bit, and then, in my hometown, an opportunity arose that they asked me if I wanted to be involved. I'm not a teacher, so that's kind of an anomaly. Most of the coaches are teachers. Yeah. But I jumped at the opportunity to get involved, and this was going back 20, 21 years ago. So I had never really coached girls before this. Uh, so it was a little bit of adjustment. I had three daughters, though, so I knew a little bit about what makes girls tick and mm-hmm. you know some of the things that maybe are different from boys. So um, that's how I got involved. And the, the feeder program and the club program in, in our town has been so good over the years. That um, you know, we, we were always getting players that were developed. Now we just had to kind of formulate them into a structure, and it was it wasn't easy. But I would say that. The challenge was actually mixing, because a lot of these kids come from five, six, seven different club teams and trying to blend them together in a span of like a few weeks, because you start preseason and you have a game in like 10 days. So very different than club soccer. But yeah, we've had a great run. We've won uh, seven state championships over the years I've been there, wow. and a lot of county championships <laughs> and so on and so forth, but just great players that have come through and you know we've probably coached 30, 40 Division one players, I would say probably at least 40.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You guys are a real powerhouse for sure. Now we have talked to several professional players who have said their high school experience was special and they have said that high school is really unique experience because for most players it's really the first time that they're playing with players who are two to four years older than them.
0: Yeah I would say that um, it's not only on the physical level where you're learning uh, about the game from older players but it's the social aspect as well. Just a matter of maturity, learning what you know, what fitness is, what older players are doing to keep their game sharp, to keep improving. So you're watching these players, like you said, two, three years older than you, and you're learning from them. And uh, if you can compete with them on the field, obviously, that's difficult enough. But then you're learning so much from them, you know, just in a social aspect.
1: Yeah, I know that when I played in high school, I definitely learned a lot from the older (laughs) girls. And I noticed with we kept our our high school kept improving, and I think it was like the younger age absorbed some of the experiences, not and knowledge of the generation before us or like not the generation, but the couple years older than us. And then we took that into our game and then the players that were younger than us could kind of take that and the high school could keep moving forward, kind of having this generational knowledge of soccer and expectations of who we were and who we wanted to be. And I think that's one really cool thing about high school soccer.
0: Yeah, if you could develop a culture where it's a major priority to the players, and obviously the parents care as well. But if you can develop that culture where it's so important, that is, then you're, you're, you're light years ahead of some of the other teams out there. So if you have a winning culture, that helps too because now you know the, the confidence is there and the importance of the team and the game is there. And definitely in our community, the high school team is a huge priority to the girls. It's not something they do just for fun. They're there to compete and win, and uh, it's, a, it's a of you know, great importance.
1: Yeah, it seems like it, it kind of goes both ways. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, more. But I just, you know, since we, we have you and you've been so successful at the high school level, I had some questions about kind of like the individual player. And then we'll talk a little bit about team dynamics. So starting with the individual player, have you noticed any commonalities in the players that you've coached who have been the most successful in soccer and in life?
0: Yeah, I would say first of all, on the soccer level, I mean, I think it's, the desire has got to come from within. So, you know, you have to love the game. You have to love to want to play, to practice and do all these things that ultimately will make you better. You know, the the best athletes will rise to the cream, will rise to the top over time. But if you're being pushed by a parent, I've seen this and it's predictable where that's going to go. If the kid is not really as interested as the parent is and the parent pushes the child and it doesn't end well, usually in those situations. Mm-hmm. But if you have a child who, who thrives on it and wants to be pushed and cares so much about it and is playing on their own and, and wants all the challenges, that's a different story. To me, that's a prerequisite for excellence. If you have that player that it's just innate in them, they want to compete, they want to su- be, be successful, uh, you can't teach that. And I yeah. always say, you can't teach. You could tell when a kid's playing their desire level and and how feisty they are and, and what when they compete. And that's... If you have that in your in your bag of tricks, then that's going to lead a long way to, to put in, you know, making you a top player. The parents got to expose the children to the game, right? And and do those things that parents do, drive them to practices. And, and they have to be committed as well, obviously. There's a lot of players that um, probably the parents aren't as committed and they don't really get the chance to be yeah. successful. But for the most part, the child's got to be the one that initiates it and really pushes for it, especially when you get to be 10, 11, 12 years old. If the passion's not there, it's 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 not you know it's fine to play recreation, recreationally, but yeah, you know no you know people are thinking scholarships and stuff like that at that age is ridiculous.
1: So I know that you're a firm believer that high school players are still pretty young and there's still plenty of time for them to develop as soccer players. And sometimes maybe even the best players in high school aren't even the ones that go on to be the best college players or pros. What do you think enables some players to continue to improve?
0: Well, I think. Obviously, athleticism is something you can't teach and Mm -hmm. speed is something you can't teach. So the players sometimes who have not played 10 months a year, four days a week, and maybe are a little behind the eight ball on their technical ability when they're 14 or 15, their athleticism will, you know, bring them to another level if they at that point start putting the time in with the technical skills, you know, because I think... You know, at the end of the day, athleticism is a huge part of the game. So there are a lot of players who, like you said, play multiple sports and then they realize that maybe 15 or 16 that, hey, wow, this is something I'm really good at and maybe I could take this to the next level. And by the way, some of those players are the ones that are not burned out from the sport already. They, yeah. weren't, they weren't playing five days a week for the last 10 years. So yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's plenty of room to get better at, at a later stage in your life, 15, 16, 17. But um, athleticism, you know, is, is always crucial.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely helped me, and especially because I think I was slower with the mindset of, of being a competitive athlete, but I did have that athleticism since I was young. I think I took advantage of my speed and not um, developed my skills until I was further along as a player where someone that maybe was a little bit slower had to focus on their, their foot skills, but, you know, eventually that catches up with you, and so that was something that I really had to knuckle down. That,
0: that's the trick, you know, at, at a youth level. Coaches sometimes will put players in there, and because of their athleticism, they succeed. But they're not really, uh, you know, training and working on the skills that ultimately. If you want to be an elite player, you're going to need both, right? Yeah. So, uh-huh. you know, it's it's uh, the onus is on the coaches to make sure that those kids that have that great athleticism are working on their skills and not just beating people, you know, by with speed, pure speed, or strength or whatever it may. Be.
1: Yeah, it's not enough to just be fast. You also have to have technical skills and start to really understand tactics as well. There's also that mental side of the game. So, can I ask, when you're coaching, are there any players from your time that really stood out to you either because of the way? they approached the game, improved, or enabled the team to succeed, even if they weren't seen as the best player by others.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always, um, there's certain players that are natural leaders, and there's some players that learn to be leaders, and, you know, I always say to the player, "What is your, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, so it's great to be a fantastic player, but to me, the leaders, the ones that are really encouraging to the players who are the you know, further down on the bench, the ones that are everyone's looking up to and are just positive people. Uh, those are the you know girls that I will remember more than anything else. Obviously, we've had a lot of great players come through here uh, in our town. And, um, you know, those, those players are amazing. Some of the things they've done, they've accomplished, you know, not only on high school level, but college and then even international level, professional level. So, there's been a wide uh, array of players but you know i always i always say like what do you want your legacy to be when we look back at you in 10 years what do we want to think about you so you know i always try to encourage like be a positive role model to everybody it's not that you're a great soccer player you know be somebody that everyone liked and respected and looked up to
1: that is such great advice for soccer and life regardless of your talent we can all strive to be positive role models and someone people can look up to I would assume that with some teams, you can have all the talent in the world. But if you don't have respected leaders, you actually might struggle.
0: Yeah, and I think it, coaching girls, I mean, is a little bit different than boys. So, mm-hmm. you know, boys can kind of like hate each other's guts and still be best friends when the game is over. I think girls are a little more sensitive. Yeah. They hold on to things a little bit longer. So it's really imperative to have a camaraderie. And um, I think chemistry is even a bigger part in, in the women's game than is in, in sometimes in the men's game.
1: So Elizabeth is here and I, you know, I love she's she's not quite moving into the high school, but she had her first experience with middle school soccer last year. And I was wondering what advice would you give to a young you know, soccer player with big dreams, whether currently one of the best players or they're just someone who really is passionate about soccer?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the best thing is to say, you know, if you love the game, then just keep playing it as hard as you can and have fun. And if there's a day where you're not having fun or you're tired of playing, then you need to take a few days off. Mm-hmm. Take a few days off so that when you come back, it's not the quality of uh, the quantity of playing, but it's the quality of effort you put in, right? So whether it's a half hour practice rather than two hours, just make it the quality and and not necessarily the quantity of how much you're playing and and have fun. If you're not having fun, then you know maybe it's not for you. Maybe there's other things that you can do at your time that be more useful.
1: Yeah, you got to have a, a good time. I think it was. Jordan um, Baggett, who we we recently released an episode, who said she has always just loved playing soccer and that was, you know, hanging out with her friends and playing soccer was one of her favorite things that she could do after school and that's incredibly important. Now I'd like to shift over before we have a couple fun questions and I know Elizabeth has a fun question over to a little bit more of the team dynamic. In your mind beyond talent are there any characteristics of championship teams that you think are really important?
0: Well, as I mentioned a few moments ago, I think chemistry in a team is is crucial. It's not imperative to have great team chemistry, but when a team plays for each other and really tries to, you know, lift someone's spirits when they're struggling, and other people are picking other people up and encouraging, even from the sideline. I mean, that is, to me, what actually helps put a championship team together. It's one thing to have the most talent, but then to be structured on the field, be organized, and then to have that push from your teammates, even though maybe you're not feeling great that day or whatever the case may be. So chemistry and confidence, obviously, and and that push from your teammates to, to stay positive and I think, it's, you know, you have players on the bench who are 18th, 19th, 20th players, whatever. And those players can be so important to the team yeah. when they're encouraging and yelling and at and halftime they're talking to the teammates. To me, that is what makes it really special, you know. And when you can win in that fashion with that kind of team, it, it's extra special. And I think that comes from the coach, too. I mean, if the coach yeah, is making it a fun, positive atmosphere for everybody on the team. Then those players get it and they understand and they're here to help their teammates even though they might not be playing as much. But you know, it, it that I think it comes down to the coach sometimes actually setting up that culture.
1: Yeah, from the start, like in preseason stuff.
0: Yeah, and just you know, keeping everyone feeling, make everyone feel important, whatever yeah. their role is.
1: Because it's hard. It's I mean, high school is a huge commitment. If you're not getting a lot of play time, playing time, right? You're practicing every. Every day. So you want to still be learning, growing and getting something out of it, even if you're not playing in the game. Hey,
0: even on the club level, too. I mean, yeah, some kids are, want to play 15 minutes a game. Yep. But you know what? If, if the coach is making them feel important and not just brushing them off and being like, oh, I have to get this kid in the game, but making them feel that their contribution is important, then, you know, yeah. that will lend itself to them being encouraging of other players.
1: So when you have a team, do you talk to any of the individual players that you think might have a leadership role or might participate in more support for the team? Do you speak to individual players and encourage them in ways that they can kind of help get the team into that good place?
0: Well, I mean, one of the rules of thumb is when we have captains each season, we talk to them uh, just to the captains one on one and say like here's what we expect your role to be. Here's what we want you to do. here's what, how we want you to be the kind of the middle person between the coaches and the players. And so they get they understand what their responsibility is. And part of that is, is encouraging and, and making it an inclusive environment. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's all kinds of players. And, and we try to have one-on-one meetings with players, especially players sometimes that you could see emotionally. They're um, detached or they're losing some edge or whatever it may be. They're having a bad day or a couple of bad days, you know, it's not, bad. I, I think you can't over communicate. So communication is crucial in, you know, understanding players and getting the most out of them and making them feel that, you know, they're, they're important to you, not just what they do on the field, but as a person.
1: And I think that must trickle down to your uh, captains too, right? Your captains probably noticed that communication is really important and being inclusive and, and getting everyone involved. I know that for us I think our pasta parties kept everyone happy because they were just so fun and just ridiculous and it didn't matter if you were the captain or starter but you we were all just like having a blast and we used to write poems for each other <laughs> like silly poems yep. and have jokes and do skits and I I think it was the stuff off the field that really kept everyone feeling like inclusive because when we got to the field we were kind of like down to business but the the stuff outside really made a huge difference and I would say I was a captain of my high school team and I definitely learned from the older players like that that was so important when I was a freshman on varsity this was my first experience doing that and i just remember having so much fun even though i socially i had nothing like to c- compare with people that were 17 18 years old and i was sure 14 or 15 years old like we had nothing in common but they just made me have such a good time and i just remember that yeah, i mean high
0: school is different in that fashion compared to club soccer or even college and that all these players grew up in the same community they probably went to schools together over time and this is closeness and bond that you know. Hopefully, most of them have together, and you know, it's it's a unique type experience. And like you said, pasta parties, and that's what twenty years down the road, that's what they're gonna remember more than anything else.
1: So, okay, Liz, what's your question? So, I have two questions. My first question is, what is your favorite coaching memory?
0: So you know what, winning um, championships is always nice, and Especially when you're not expected to or you come back late in a game and you tie a game, win a game. We've had a few like that. So those are extra special. And I'd also say, as I mentioned earlier, some of the team bonding experiences, talent shows and some of these other things we've done off the field. I could still tell you what some people have done skits and things they've said from 18 years ago 19 years ago because they stuck in my mind So I'd say the team bonding things and then of course those you know winning championship games, especially in overtimes or tight games uh, Especially if maybe you're an underdog. That's extra extra special memories
1: Okay, and my second question is what was the hardest part of from switching to boys to girls?
0: Mm, That's a good question. So Fortunately for me, um, I've been around a lot of girls in my life, (laughs) and I uh, had three daughters. But it's definitely unique and different. And then, you know, Anson Durant has a great line, I think, if I get this right. He said at halftime, if you go into, because he coached both boys and girls in college in North Carolina. And he says at halftime, if you go in and you you start you know ripping your players about something that was going wrong on the field in the first half, the boys will all look around the room and go, oh, he's not talking about me. He's talking about the other guy. With girls, every girl looks at themselves and says, oh my God, he's talking about me. <laughs> so the, the accountability that girls have, so I think emotionally they you can lose girls a lot quicker if you're not positive with them and honest with them and I think honesty is the most important thing, but you, you got to keep it inclusive because I think it's easy to lose girls Well, boys will think they're going to be great. Even if they're the last player on the bench, some of them are going to think, well, in two years from now, I'm going to be I'm going to be in the World Cup. Yeah. So I think there's a confidence sometimes with boys that you don't get with girls. That's one of the, That's one of the big differences. Great question, though. Yeah, that's wow. a really good question. Yeah.
1: Thank you. <laughs> So this is my fun question. I've heard it been said that a good coach learns as much from his or her players as the players learn um, from their coach. So what has been one of the biggest things that you've learned as a coach?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think reading players and what they need as individuals every day. I feel like I'm learning about different players. Every person's different. And I mean, sometimes they might even come up with some good tactical ideas. Um, in their own mind, you know, but maybe doesn't fit into the structure or what you're trying to accomplish that day. But, yeah, I mean, players can give you some some tips and some things they're reading on the field that you might not see. But I think it's more along the lines of uh, personalities and emotionally how you can, you know, keep getting better at reading players and understanding them from a psychological standpoint that every day is a learning experience for me. I mean, you know, you keep learning. I keep taking classes and trying to learn, watching you know all kinds of videos and so forth so you're never too never too late to learn yeah
1: That's great. So our final question, we always end by asking our guests to share the top piece of advice they would give their younger soccer-playing self. Could you share what you would tell yourself? And I know you had three daughters that played soccer, including at the college level. Is there any advice you would go back in time to have given them at the start of their own soccer journey? Or for all the players that are about to start their high school career, what's some advice that you would give them?
0: You know, one thing that always sticks out to me, and I try to remind people of this but when you're in the grind and you're 15 or 16 and you've been doing this four days five days a week for 10 years you, you kind of just kind of in this mindset of showing up and you know working hard and everything but at the end of the day you only get one chance at this and for most players by the time they're 17 it's over so like, you know what? If you're gonna do this, put in a hundred percent and enjoy every minute of it because you're gonna look back no matter what in ten years, twenty years and go like, wow, I, I wish I would have done this a little differently. I wish I would have worked harder or I wish I would have enjoyed it more because you only get one chance. And by the time you're I always use the innings perspective, but by the time you're seventeen, you're like in the eighth and ninth inning already. If you're fortunate enough to play in college, fantastic. But again, Every day is a privilege to play and and enjoy every minute. And and if it's really important to you, you know, put the time in.
1: Okay, I think this might be the perfect place to start. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, it's exciting. You're going on to your what season is this? Do you know?
0: uh, uh well, how many seasons have I? Been? Yeah, how many? So seasons this have is. You I mean, I've been coaching in high school over 30 years, but this is with this program, um, 21 years. Yeah, wow! It's been—I mean, it's time flying by because I don't know what's going on, but it seems like it was yesterday <laughs> that I started. It. But each year, it just goes by quicker and quicker. But, but thanks so much. This has no been problem. great. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Appreciate it. Bye. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember if you'd like what you heard please follow us which you can do by visiting shedreamsandgoals.com follow us on Instagram at shedreamsandgoals and most importantly share our podcast with family friends and teammates and until next time keep playing and keep dreaming This podcast was prepared by duly authorized members of She Dreams and Goals LLC she Dreams and Goals LLC does not accept liability for any opinions or information of any kind expressed by its guests and hereby makes clear that those opinions do not represent the opinions and or recommendations of She Dreams and Goals LLC or its members. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any form of professional advice. Listeners of this podcast should conduct their own extensive research before making any decisions in connection with topics discussed in this podcast. She Dreams and Goals LLC is committed to providing content that is safe and appropriate for all ages. However, legal guardians are ultimately responsible for supervising access by any minor under their care to content produced by She Dreams and Goals LLC. She Dreams and Goals LLC does not make any warranty or representation as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. To the fullest extent permitted by law, She Dreams and Goals LLC shall not incur any liability in connection with this podcast. This podcast may not be copied, published, reproduced, or redistributed in whole or part without the written permission of a duly authorized member of She Dreams and Goals LLC. For further information, please visit www.shedreamsandgoals.com.